Hey guys, Phil White here. This is the fourth of the Q&As that Trish and I have done on the Physio Accelerator Facebook page. We'd love to have you join us for the next one, which is coming up in two weeks' time on July the 23rd at 12.15pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. So block off your lunch break now and join us. We have a few questions lined up already, but we'd love to get some more. So leave a comment on the Facebook page or on the event page, and you can find a link to both of those in the episode description. So hope you enjoy today, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Okay, I believe we are live. Hello and welcome to the fourth Q&A that uh, Trish and I have done now for the Physio Accelerator. I can't believe it's come around so fast. It's crazy. It just feels like yesterday we were here uh, in the same spot. Uh, slightly warm weather for me. I'm sitting here with a blanket and a heater on, um, South Coast life. Um, but yeah, another month and another Q&A. Always great to talk to you though, Phil. Yeah, it's definitely just such a, a pleasure for me. I mean, I, I get... An opportunity here to fill in the gaps and ask any questions that if we haven't got lots coming through so a pretty amazing resource for me but I, I will give others first dibs so if you are watching live do put a comment in the comment section now but maybe before you do jump across to the link that's also in the description of this episode which is facebook uh, facebook and that means that we can see who you are and we'd love to see who you are and who is listening so if you haven't done that then let us know who you are and where you're listening from and we'd love to get a question we have a few lined up already but we'd love to get some live as well and then just say always Phil, get kick out of it yeah can i just say straight after our live q a last month i went and did a face-to-face and zoom thing um uh in-depth private practice mastery program where beta testing it to um launch it later this year and I turned my computer so the Zoom participants would be sitting with the live participants um, and pulled the whole computer off, smashed the screen. So I had everyone on Zoom, every, people there live. It was the, the most adrenaline packed thing. <laughs> so that is now my reference point of what can go wrong. So, yeah. um, this yeah, I, I'm feeling quite relaxed today because yep, that's now still, my benchmark. Your hands hands free of cables, and we we should get through this okay. Yes. But if we do have any sound issues or anything going wrong, please do let us know in the comments because we'd have to be you guys be sitting there uh, suffering while we sound like we're talking underwater or something like that. And so before we do get started, the idea for these Q and A's is to give you guys you know amazing access to um, someone like Trish who has seen and done it all in the physio profession or just about all. And what we'd ideally like is that when people do the courses that are available, we've got one course currently available on the Physio Accelerator website, that this is a great chance to ask those questions because it's very easy to passively sit there and feel like you're absorbing lots of information, but it's often those little, and, and, and Trish, I think you often say it so well, is it's like those little one percenters that just suddenly make the puzzle all fit together really nicely. So if you have done the, um, checked out the course already and you do have any questions from while you're doing it, take some notes. And this is a wonderful opportunity to, get some of those things clarified and it also gives us really good guidance around you know the things that people don't quite understand and that makes a better a better learning experience for everyone for, in the future chance to if you have listened to some of the podcasts we've got i think 19 or well, 16 episodes of trish and her monologue style episodes where she just gives these great insights about career and clinical insights but there's also a couple of the q a's up there as well so 19 episodes up there where I'm sure if you listen to those, there's there's plenty of little um, bits and pieces that would be worth asking about. So if you haven't already, head across to the physioaccelerator.com forward slash podcast 
and you can find um, the podcast there and give a listen. We've just hit over 500 listens, which is very exciting. So yeah, it's been yeah great to see that that start, and we'd love to have some more listeners and comments. So before we do get started, do you want to give a? We've got 16 episodes up there, so I think the last one was about work cover and how to navigate working with work cover patients, which I know can be really tricky for a lot of people. But do you want to give a maybe a private uh, a little like a hint of what's coming up in in some of the episodes that you've recorded since then? Um. I, I went through really, I felt importantly, the ground supporting kind of knowledge when you start in private practice. But once I got through that, and I've got lots more, I've got this huge flow chart of, if you have a look, um, that's just my flow chart of just things in private practice or things to support a physio's career or insights that hopefully make their journey smoother than mine. So there's still lots to come. But the last few that I've recorded, I really wanted to just sit down almost like a caring a caring physio who actually cares about you to to give you some insights about how to get life-work balance and perhaps to get the best out of work and out of, you know, education, but while looking after yourself. And I I think that's incredibly important because um, I have an incredibly supportive husband, but I think in in the first 10 years of my career, I probably spent three quarters of weekends doing continuing education. And if I could talk to my younger self, I would have said between intense learning situations, give yourself time to reflect on it, to summarise it, put down the questions and see if you can ask those type of questions to somebody who's been around for longer. And also give yourself a breather because work is so intense and when you you also do courses on the weekend that's intense there has to be some downtime yeah i love it and i think it's almost like you are filling that gap that is there in the private practice space where it's just so variable about the kind of mentoring that you can get and there are some wonderful mentors out there who put in so much effort and so much of their life and and when you're talking about getting that work-life balance taking on new grads is a whole nother, if you do it right, is, is is going to be a whole lot more work as well. And so I think you're doing a wonderful job in giving those kind of those little lessons and those that bit of guidance that is not inherently inbuilt in the new grad experience at, at a lot of practices. So um, if you have got some friends who um, are also working in physio and they've been talking to you about how they're having a really tough time, um, you know, starting out or in a new job or um, transitioning between different parts of physio, I know one of my friends is just... Um, switched from rehab because she was just hating well not really enjoying her rehab hospital experience and now she's going hand therapy and these it's this kind of it's a it's a challenging time at the beginning of your career and I, I imagine throughout mm. your whole career just trying to find like what is your little slice of this career that you're really going to love so I think yeah that from listening to the podcast so far there's so many good bits of advice that really make you think so, and could I say that areas that I've grown to really love I felt overwhelmed, undercooked, and 
out of my depth for quite a long while. You know, I didn't get into a job and think first day, wow, I've I've got this covered. Like cycling, yeah. travelling with, with Australian cycling was, oh, my God, you know, what even is a gearing ratio? What is, why is a titanium brake better than a normal brake, you know? What's a disc wheel? Just basics, you know. So yeah. just know that if you're struggling at the moment, that doesn't mean you're always going to struggle. And sometimes a struggle is is because you're in the intense development of your skill phase. Just sometimes yeah. need someone to pat you on the back and say, take a breath, do you know, consolidate, yeah. go you again. Do, you know, like you need to know it all at the beginning. So that's some yeah, that's definitely absolutely. some uh, comforting advice. And Meredith uh, Schwick has um, done the click oh. the StreamYard link and, and and commented here saying good advice, Trish. Um, and yeah, hundred percent spot on. So uh, Meredith, Meredith and I went to uni together. Oh, I went to Meredith's twenty-first birthday party. It was a great party. Still remember it. Oh, well, there you go, Meredith. <laughs> um, and if you do have any more, you know, you're, you're clearly a very experienced uh, physio as well. So if you do have any more uh, comments and um, or things to add about uh, Trish, then do put them on the comments. I'd love to get that interaction. Uh, Just yeah. sandwich any negative. I just need a positive <laughs> yeah, either I, side, okay? Yeah, I can filter that. I'm sure she's got some. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and she, here she is saying it, it was a good 21st. Uh, love it. I think Maren's question is a really um, quite relevant to that um, brief discussion we've just um, had here. So I'll just say um, she's put a, um, she's got two comments here. Um, so this one, which I think is really relevant, is just saying there is so much research available for us now. It can be quite overwhelming to know what resources to go to and how to find time to try and stay up to date. Trish, how do you structure your life and what resources do you use to be able to learn as so much while running a business, teaching and having a family? I don't know how you've done it. Yeah, I I agree with you, Meryn. And I do think that, that when you're coming into physio now, I think it's even harder. It's a bit like when they open open the wall of a dam and I saw physio networks showing that, that, you know, the amount of research that comes out because all the researchers in the world, their notoriety, their job, their career hangs on publishing. And while some of that research can be very groundbreaking and worthwhile, there's a huge amount. I, I would say clinically there's probably 90% that is rehashing another study or it's a meta-analysis of a meta-analysis of a meta-analysis that you spend your time reading through and, you know, it's not, you don't get anything from it. And, and that can be really frustrating. So one of the things that I have done, Marin, is... Um, I'm a member of Sports Medicine Australia and the APA, and through that I have access to certain journals and um, I really like BJSM, uh, the British Journal of Sports Medicine and um, the Journal of JOSP, Journal of Sports Physiotherapy. So if you look up those very often you can be on their email and what they'll do is send to you ahead of print um, a link to their premium articles that are in their paper do you know that the key ones that they think are 
the cream of the crop, excuse me. <clears throat> and then I will look at those abstracts and if I think, wow, that's actually that's actually something really interesting or new, then I can search that. And so I think if you find journals that you like the knowledge you're getting from them and link in via social media or get onto their emailing website, that can make a huge difference because um, I've been on a lot of emails to a lot of journals and then over time I've thought, you know what, do you know, I, I've read a lot of articles but it's too generic for me. Do you know, or it, a lot of it um, can be very uh, big population based. But as a physiotherapist, do you also want to know what you, what you can take from that article that can change how you treat someone with knee pain, you know? And um, the other one, and, and I apologise to you, Phil, if I shouldn't be spruiking other businesses, but, I, you know, I think physiotherapy, it's great to have a community and I really do like Physio Network. I think that's um, run by Tim. Yeah, 100%. I, I subscribe to Physio Network again, what have it. Yeah, and we have it for um, our physios use it. And the nice thing about that is just like our podcast, they may have a 20-minute podcast where they take someone in the field who goes through a body of research. Now, just know that every single person, as, even when they're presenting research, will have a bias because there is so much research out there that even if you're very skilled in there and as a specialist physio, I try to read widely, but clinically I you do you do have a bias because you from your experience you you understand what works. You're happy to try new things and you put them in. But um just know that if you if you do see something on Physio Network or or on a research article and you just think, wow, that is so right away from in my thought processes at all. One that's really interesting because it's good to go somewhere different, but just know you don't have to take on and agree with everything that you read. I think that's yeah, important too. And just on the physio network discussion, I think, yeah, they're doing a wonderful job and they've really, they've seen a pain point in the physio space, which is trying to deal with that just absolute flood of, of, new research that's coming out. And I think they do mm -hmm. such a good way of, of really consolidating that, synthesizing it and um, putting it out there for people to use and getting, and, you know, then getting researchers on to help do courses. And I'm so glad that they're doing that because that is definitely not my skill set. And it's not I don't, like, I, don't, I know it's probably not your favorite thing. You didn't go down the academic um, route to really become a, um, you know, a hardcore researcher. So I think it's so important that they're feeling that side of the niche. And when, when we talked about what we wanted to do with the physio accelerator, it was quite a different thing to what they're doing and so i think there's definitely you know a lot of space for both and and really 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 yeah, want to absolutely. tackle that sort of how to actually use that information to then have a really wonderful career because i think that's you can get you can fill your brain with um you know so much information and all this new research but at the end of the day if you still haven't got the um sort of systems in place to use that in a way that enhances your life not just your um your knowledge then it's going to be quite challenging and i think that's um, you know, in Marin's mm. question saying, how did you, you know, do that and have a family? And, and I, that's what we really want to tackle is getting that balance. 
And can I just say, through my specialisation, that made me deconstruct everything and reconstruct it. And the thing I came from that, which, which really is reflected in our onboarding program, is if you have a really clear scaffold, so a framework for lumbar spine, pelvis, thoracic, cervical, hip, and you can, it's clear, it's concise, then even if you have a patient that talks a lot, you can get back to your framework and not get lost of where you were. And then you can always, from that framework, that scaffolding, you can build detail in certain areas as far as you want to go. But you come back to that scaffolding and that scaffolding, I think, will always support you. And that's with the with the onboarding program we put together, that is what that is, like what's a basic scaffold that you can build from. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that gives you a lot of confidence. It helps you sleep yeah. at night, I think, as a physio. Yeah, not feeling like you're just picking lots of different things and haven't quite covered everything, mm. so that's great. And with the uh, next product that um putting together at the moment uh that's going to do a bit of a deeper dive so yeah definitely watch this space for um what's coming um so before we um jump on there's if you are watching live i can see that there's a few more people here who haven't commented and uh haven't said hello so if you are watching say hello um and uh, where you're watching from and do get a question in because we would um love to chat with you um, and I think Maren's got another really good question there. And so I'll put it in the comments here so you can read, but uh, saying, uh, and this was on an earlier one. So, uh, hi, Trish, thanks for establishing this platform and being so willing to share your knowledge. I heard a small presentation on functional stability and dynamic slings at a course many years ago by a colleague of yours. And I was, it was a pivotal, pivotal moment in my physio world. I realized that I had to know this stuff. I went on to do your lumbar spine and pelvis and hip courses, and I'm so grateful to have this platform. Uh, to ask some questions to help me flesh out how to apply it all. And then it says... Uh, I remember uh, Meryn, she was so enthusiastic. Yeah. I remember her energy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then she said, I feel a weakness of mine is knowing when to progress through the grades of exercise with intended management. I get good results with it and um, with advice and isometrics to settle them down initially. But my question is, what subjective and objective signs can I use to guide my decision making in upgrading from isometrics and through the grades to full function? Patients are always keen to upgrade when in less pain, but there is a greater risk of flare up slash setbacks when dealing with tendons as part of a lumbar, pelvic or hip problem. Again Great today. question. Yeah. yeah. And I spent years trying to work that out because I feel it, that many programs are really good at stage one, you know, those isometrics, or they're really good at high performance, you know, um, hypertrophy, but a lot of people get lost in the middle. So what I have put together, and we talk about it on the onboarding for the lumbar spine and pelvis and also, you know, the two-day courses go into it. But I have a graded system from grade one function through to grade five. And, you know, there's a lot of research that underpins it and not just our research but a huge body of research. And it's hard to explain it in one minute but I'm going to attempt to. So grade one is usually isometric and I call them virtual exercises so generally that they can do these exercises isometrically holding a contraction while they're still in pain and it either eases their pain or doesn't provoke 
more symptoms. So once they can cope with that and build up their endurance, being able to do that for with a tendon 30, some tendons 45 seconds, other if you're looking at lumbar pelvic, um, you know, we usually go for 20, 30 seconds. Then I like to bring them up into a functional position, but not challenging their balance because Bringing them up against gravity and functional is a bigger challenge. So you don't want to challenge their balance yet. So what I then do is look at either side-to-side movements or almost a lunge forward back, but keep it in a range so and slow and controlled, not challenging their balance and build up their endurance. And you can use a little bit of extra weight or um, a a rigid band or cable row, but just one of the things I would say is first, if you're going to come up to function, no gravity is a load. So don't, don't load them up too much too early. So when you work through that phase and you can gradually work through more range, so slow inner range and then slow medium range, Grade three is when I will then progress to challenging function and challenging balance and function. And one of those big things is being able to control yourself on one leg and know that when you go from two legs to one leg, you're doubling the load. So very often we'll go with 60-40 or 70-30. And once they're able to function and move through inner and mid-range on one leg, we add in thoracic rotation, really functionally pivotal to being able to run, jump, lift, bend. Grade four is when we go increase speed and go into outer range and put in from grade three, you work on the movement pattern, you don't think about the muscle as much, and you move into the movement patterns they need. Grade four, you make it automatic, higher speed, movement patterns they need, and overlay it with cognitive challenges, upper and lower body, um, doing it when they're fatigued, that's when people tend to injure, uh, getting them to do it in in groups so that it's more an automatic thing because by now it needs to be automatic. And finally, grade, grade five is overload. So exercises that are harder than they need to do through range, using all your dynamic slings, challenging your balance, and know that really from grade three, you're starting to hypertrophy. I think grade one and two really tend to work on motor firing patterns and activating the muscle. I think from grade three, you really start hypertrophying. So hopefully that gives a couple of guidelines. But if you're interested in that, I find patients love it when I say, wow, you're doing so well. We're going to drop two of those grade three, grade two exercises and give you a grade three exercise. And now you're not on any grade one because you've progressed. So they get an idea of where they're going. So we talk a bit about onboarding, but in the program we're developing at the moment, the private practice mastery program in the lumbar spine and pelvis and the hip, we talk about that a lot. Yeah, I think having a, a plan in place where people can see where they, you know, that they're starting at one place and getting to another is so important. Um, that question was specifically about tendon management, so tendinopathy. Um, so mm-hmm. I guess that's often a bit different when it um, 
than I guess your typical lumbar spine um, yeah. management. So are there any like tweaks you'd make to that for tendon specific management or follow the same sort of principles? Um, I follow the similar principles, except loading for tendon is really important. So with grade one, you know, the, you know, for me, the legends of tendon research are Jill Cook, Craig Pert and Ebony Rio. So I never think that I, I'm in their stratosphere. But if I make it simple, what I'll say is with my grade one isometrics with tendon loading, they talk about 60% load. Now, that's hard to know what that is for an individual. So what I'll say is with the isometrics and I'll use, often use rigid bands or or pushing against a rigid force, a rigid surface, what I'll say is push as hard as you can and then divide it in half. So you're probably around 50, 60% and then building up those isometrics to, you know, Jill, Jill Cook said to me once with glute tendons in their program, they found they didn't have to go over 30 seconds. They tended to do five reps of 30 seconds with a, we like to give people a minute's rest. They can do other exercises, but not load the tendon. Um, with some of the hamstring and patella tendons, they tend to go on to isometrics for 45 seconds. So loading is really important because it takes, you know, I say to people, an arm takes about eight weeks for a bone or a bone, if it's broken, takes, you know, eight weeks to heal. A tendon to lay down more tendon you know, takes at least 12 weeks and they, you know, Craig was saying to me six to 12 months. So you need to continue that load. When then when you get to grade three, what I tend to do is get them to do a few isometrics to, you know, prime the system and then do a grade three, a grade two. And load is important, but I still think, manage that load, see how they cope with a grade two exercise in a range functional. And then if they don't get pay, increased pain the next morning, then you can gradually increase their load. But one of my templates is from um, looking at loading and tendon and with athletes, which they did with um, Mick Drew down at the AAS. And I know not all of our patients are athletes, but they looked at 5,000 people and they said, basically, if you increase your load by more than 10% a week, you have a higher, much higher incident, up to 80% in athletes incident of, of increasing your injury. So I tend to look at increasing 10% a week, you know, generally. Yeah, I love it. I, with uh, my the gym that I have my clinic in, it's uh, I see very few acute injuries because everyone is pretty good with their training, but uh, the tendinopathy is just the most common thing I see, particularly forearms. But um, I think kind of just also getting people on board that flare-ups are okay and expected because it's yeah. so hard to work within the buffer that is going to remodel the tendon and to do that consistently mm -hmm. over a long period of time, particularly with if you're trying to do activities that you know bring you some joy in your life more than just isometrics. So I think kind of getting that really clear at the beginning that flare-ups are okay and they're going to happen and it's a learning process where you get feedback and use that feedback. It's Because if you, I feel like if we don't get that, then people think, oh, exercise is bad, can't do anything, yeah. this hurts, and then that just sends you so far backwards. So yeah. that would be my little two cents. 
Yeah, and with the podcasts, I talk about that, that, you know, the first exercises you give them will be their flare-up strategy and you call it that, that through a rehab process, if you never have a flare-up, you're probably doing a lot of sitting on the lounge doing nothing. Like it's part of the path of the course. And the second thing is a pacing program. So I say with a pacing program, we're going to start listening to your body and listen to what it says to you and then build up from there. And I'll often say when someone comes in and says, oh, I did too much in the gym and I feel like I'm back to square one, and I say, fantastic, tick off the flare-up. Did you do the flare-up protocol? Yeah, it's just getting better. Great. And I say, it's not you back to square one, it's just... It, you, you know, it's learning how much is enough. And I think that's where everyone's a brain and a body and all the great knowledge that we have of pain science really helps everybody get a, a better understanding of function and pain and performance and how they go together. Definitely. Um, yeah, we've, we've talked about our, our plans for the Physio Accelerator going forward and I know that... Uh, yeah, Ebony and uh, and Jill are right up there on our on our wish list. So we'd we'd love to do some more with them, and we'll definitely yeah look into making that happen in the not so distant future. Yeah, um, maybe next year. There's there's yeah. little chats. We'll see. Yeah, things in the wax in the wax. Always, um, okay. always. Yeah. And so they said, uh, how do you find the best job slash clinic fit given her education skills and background, or should she consider going it alone and setting up her own clinic again? So this is coming from someone who is really quite experienced already you know, has, has got a, a career that's humming but then how do you go about uh, setting up someone new and that's something you are very um, experienced in <laughs> so what do you think Trish you know you're living you're living my life a few you know a few years ago and I remember you know I had a practice here I was with with Australian hockey teams I'd done my Manips Masters and we decided to lease out the practice and go and live in Switzerland because my husband's family were there and his dad was unwell and he'd been so supportive. And I remember getting on that plane and thinking, this is the end of my career. Nobody knows me from a bar of soap in Switzerland. And when I do come back to Australia, if and when, everyone will have forgotten me. Do you know, it was just, this is the end. But what happened is you go there, you have your skills and your knowledge. And I know you've run a practice before and you're a very skilled physio. And while you think no one knows you and doesn't notice that, that is part of who you are. And that will absolutely shine through. And you don't even know what great opportunities. My whole working with Australian cycling only came because I went to Switzerland. I then um, worked in a practice and because I'd done a lot of orthopedic manipulative therapy and I'd done a lot of teaching, I got asked to help teach and then I went on and helped run courses down in, in Crete and had incredible experiences that I wouldn't have had if I stayed in my comfort zone in Australia. So people are just going to see that you are a shining star and truly having someone as skilled as you in Australia emigrating at this point in time, it won't be how do I find a job, it will be which of these great opportunities do I take.
So don't try to set up your own practice. There are some incredible practices up in Brisbane um, and, you know, you've got us as a contact. We can give you names. And what I would say, which works really well for my practice, is if, I, if someone's going to come into my practice, I say, look, we'd love you to come and spend half a day at the practice see how it works, you know, maybe treat one of the receptionists or one of the physios, stay for lunch, have a chat with people. And in a half a day, you will be able to feel if the culture of that practice is a good fit for you. So I would not worry at all. You just, I think you're going to have the best time. I've been there. I've been so scared. And um, really, I don't know where I would have where my career would have gone without stepping outside of my comfort zone quite often. So um, I really look forward to following your journey. I think it's going to be great. I think, yeah, seeing your mindset back, like having listened to some of your podcasts and, and talked to you about this before, it's that ability to see the opportunity in the, in the obstacle. And yeah, I think if you can take that, that approach, then yeah. So if you are watching live, uh, you're coming up to your last chance to get a question in for this month. Um, but yeah, you do have a few more minutes, so pop it in there. This is another nice and relevant uh, one for you as a vertically challenged person, um, Trish. Mm. Uh, and that I'm is tall how... on the inside, Phil. <laughs> yeah, and that is how many have you perceived as a physically smaller person slash physio, um, which, yeah, I've definitely heard from um, plenty of the people I, I, I studied with as well. That was a real stress of theirs. Mm. I, over the years, you can learn a lot of techniques, but I have constantly evolved the techniques that I use so they're user-friendly for my body. And uh, if anyone's done my two-day courses and, you know, you, you'll see it on the onboarding and when we have our private practice mastery, I'm, I'm not very big. And you will see the techniques I use. I use a lot of positioning the patient so and use contract relax in a, in a three-dimensional position to get the person to do a lot of the work for you. But there is no point as a small person trying to do really heavy techniques because that will damage you and it will make you look weak. Whereas it's really interesting if, if you think about how you're going to do that technique and how can I do it so that, that I am in the stronger position or the patient's doing a bit of the work or the position is helping you, um, it can make you seem very strong and, and capable without actually having to put in the effort. And um, there, there's one story I'll share with you and I got when I was with Cycling Australia for um, the Commonwealth Games, I got selected to be the head physio for all of it. And so I was looking after track, track cyclists. And if you haven't met a track cyclist, they're 120, 130 kilos, like one leg, one thigh is bigger than my waist. And they introduced me and a very famous, I won't say his name, but he's one of the most famous Australian track cyclists, turned to one of the others and he said, what, what does this little, this little physio think she can help us with, Do you know? And so 
I um, had treated big athletes. So when I saw him, do you know, he had he was tight through his lumbar spine and through his hips and he had restricted hip flexion. So I he walked out thinking, man, I'd never, never felt how as strong a treatment as that because I used his own body weight. And, I, you know, if you ever do any of my courses, you'll see that these techniques can be really powerful, but you're getting them into the right position and getting them to have to work. Um, yeah, and it only took one treatment for to silence him and he then became a great fan. So I don't, it's, it's being smart with it you know and I would say if you're you've had your own business and you are um, a skilled therapist you've experienced that that works for you and it's not that when you come to Australia all of us are six foot tall and muscly there's plenty of small women I have them in my practice and I just had a chat to one who works with me and I said you've got to use tools you've got to use you know positions use the patients themselves to help you yeah and maybe when you are touring around different places to to work just make sure they do have a an adjustable table because it, it blows yes. my as a yeah. i was a massage therapist for eight, i was a massage therapist for eight years before while i was studying sports science and, and postgrad physio and like in massage diploma like all you learn is how to just transfer your body weight and basically lean on people for an hour without hurting yourself and yeah when i when it came to physio education it was just not really as um i guess strongly uh suggested just how much you, you do you just use the table like get it into those positions and, mm. and you're a very experienced person i'm sure you're all over that but that's just been my observation coming from that other background mm. of being entirely hands-on um but yeah and also you know your knowledge and your skills and your all the other aspects of physio like that will just shine through as well if you yeah, use those. And, and if I can, I put one more thing into. I make sure you work in a practice where exercise is incredibly important, because in a lot of our sessions we're not doing a half hour of manual therapy. You know, we'll do exercises, education, and do a bit of hands on. And so that's crucially important that exercise is seen as important because I think anybody who's doing back-to-back -back just manual therapy sessions every 15 or 20 minutes I, I think you could be six foot tall and still that not be good for your body over time yeah or for the patient really yeah not ideal um so just before we do finish up just if you haven't already checked out the physio accelerator website um there is some free resources that you can get your hands on which is around a little guide for um, working prior practice and what you might do with um, your patients as a new patient. Um, so there's free resources there. And also if you do want to hear a bit more of um, Trisha's journey through physio, there's also the talk that she did at SMA conference um, back in 2019 as the Ref Shogi lecture, which is basically the big deal lecture. Um, and it's a, an amazing uh, talk that was basically what made me want to start working with Trish. So do check it out on the free resources there um, and we do have our podcast as well so if you head across to the physioaccelerator.com forward slash podcast or or look on spotify or any apple podcasts anything you usually listen to a podcast you can find it there and yeah i've just been loving listening to it so everyone else should get on board as well and it's going to be a, a a great place to find uh some questions to ask for the next one which is coming up in a month so 
Uh, before we finish up here, Meredith said thank you both. Thank you, Meredith, for um, joining our discussion Thanks, today and, um, and for doing the thing that makes us be able to see your face on the <laughs> on the picture as well. It makes it extra nice to connect with people. Special. Like that. <laughs> That's it. Uh, so any parting comments or, or uh, anything you'd like to say before we wrap up here, Trish? Um, the, the whole, this concept of being live and interacting with people on this platform, Phil, I have to thank you because we wouldn't be here without you. But I do feel it's really important to be able to create a network and be able to talk to people. And, um, you know, I'm not going to be around forever, but I've been around for a long time. So if, if I can impart any knowledge or support the profession is very close to my heart. It's made my life and made my career. So um, it's great to be here. And also with the podcast, it was very nerve-wracking. Again, Phil, you talked me into doing podcasts and it was a very different medium. I suggested so, you try one and then suddenly you'd recorded 20 of them. So, you know, I feel like <laughs> it was in there just waiting <laughs> to come out. <laughs> so if you do find it worthwhile, you know, Simon sent a lovely email saying you found it worthwhile and it just made made my week because I thought, oh, my goodness, I'm actually doing something right, you know. So I'm a feedback junkie too, so please connect. Um, always love hearing from you. Love it. Uh, Meredith, I just said, didn't realise you could see my face. That's what happened when you go to streamyard.com slash Facebook so we can see who's commenting. So you did that to yourself, Meredith, and thank you for <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> thank and then, you. Um, we love seeing and, you, Meredith. Yeah, and Meredith said, thank you guys. Loving the podcast. Hear you both next month. Thank you, Marin. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure Thank to chat you to you today, Marin. Trish, and we'll um, be back same time, same place in a month. See you then. Fantastic. Thank you for your time, Phil, and for everybody there. And uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, please join us live in a month's time. It would be lovely to actually have that real person connection. Love it. See you then. Thanks, Bye. Phil. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you got something out of today. If you do have any questions that came up during that episode or about any other podcast episode or just something that's happening in your own physio career, make sure you ask Trisha a question. It's such a good opportunity. So you can do that on the Physio Accelerator Facebook page, which you can find the link to in the description, or tune in on the 23rd of July at 12.15pm Australian Eastern Standard Time and watch it live and ask a question live. So we'll hopefully see you there. But before then, see you on Monday for our next episode.